Good afternoon. I'm Franklin, and this is the Berkeley Rock Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, fishy nerves, toilet drugs, and cheap DNA. In addition, we'll be joined by Jerry Mikalski, who will talk about social networking. Also, we'll find out what amphetamines do. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week coming right up here on Berkeley Groks. Welcome back to Berkeley Rocks. I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank? Pretty awesome. Uh, I, I just love the Bay Area during the wintertime. It's not too cold. Uh, I love the Bay Area during the wintertime as well. <laughs> I, I like to think about the Bay Area during the wintertime, oh. oftentimes. <laughs> it almost seems like you've departed for some better place. Yes, I've, uh, you know, dreamt about a better place. <laughs> a better place in my mind. <laughs> so would this better place perhaps be Italy? Hmm. Well, that that would be a mighty fine place I could be, yeah. So, I'm, I'm not sure about the Bay Area, but in Italy, it looks like there's a very high percentage of people uh, on drugs. Okay. <laughs> uh, namely, cocaine. Wow, I thought that was more uh, an issue down in uh, South America. Well, I mean, that's where they produce it, but we're talking about people consuming it. Oh, okay. And what the study carried out by... Um, Researchers at the Mario Negri Institute showed that for a population of about 5 million people, including cities like Turin and Milan, they are estimating about 4 kilograms of cocaine that's being... Uh, consumed by this population every day. Ah, per person? <laughs> Not per person, no, okay. just over that population. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> which is actually, uh, if you try to convert it, equivalent to about 40,000 packets wow. per day. Um, they were able to to quantify this by uh, studying and measuring the uh, the breakdown product of cocaine in the river uh, catch basin. Oh, okay. So uh, they just went there, collected the uh, sewage, basically, and found the, uh, the right. waste product. Right, and based on the volumetric flow and the concentration. Oh, okay. I wonder if there's like a time of day dependence as well. <laughs> that could be interesting, actually. An early morning stored or a late <laughs> evening uh, nightcap. So this was an uh, interesting study, and uh, they're hoping they could use this to quantify other drugs uh, in the near future. And you can read more about it in a recent edition of Environmental Health. <laughs> Well, I guess here's some good news for all those uh, people snorting cocaine. They might be able to heal those brain cells that they're destroying. So I, I still have hope then. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you have hope. <laughs> I don't even know if I have hope. Uh, so this is actually a big problem, of course, in the nervous system, is that the cells and neurons can't regenerate. They grow back, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's test that, shall we? Hold I mean, still. <laughs> I mean, Homer Simpson believes his hand will grow back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in some animals, of course, they, they do have uh, much more regenerative capabilities, right? Starfish, right. for instance. Right. And it turns out that the pufferfish, well-known for its uh, toxin that can kill people who... Also known as the fugu, right? Right, the fugu. Uh, this, uh, this fish apparently has the ability to regenerate its nerves quite readily. Really? Yes. And uh, what parts of their body would possibly get chomped off before uh, they need some regeneration? Uh, I'm sure, like, fins and eyes and uh. brains. <laughs> <laughs> The brains are overrated anyway. <laughs> yes. It's only gotten me into trouble. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so it actually turns out that the uh, the pufferfish, what it happens uh, is that it lacks a certain protein called no-go A. No-go A? Yes. So I guess apparently these the myelin sheath, which protects the axons, this mm-hmm. is like the insulating cable, right. the insulating uh, sheath, uh, it basically... Uh, doesn't form with the no-go A. So we also have the no-go A in our genes, right? We have it in our genes, but they miss it. So oh. that's why they're able to uh, regenerate these things. Damn. I think something in evolution sort of snagged us, huh? <laughs> yeah, we got dealt an unlucky hand. Going to have to fold that one. You don't want to double down? <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll raise. We're, I'll check that. Yes. <laughs> we're playing evolutionary poker, my friend. <laughs> Okay, and this is very fascinating stuff. It's uh, published in a recent edition of Molecular Biology and Evolution. So, Charles, what do you think about Google's AdSense? Uh, it's quite a prolific uh, feature on the uh, Internet nowadays. I don't think you can get on a website without seeing a Google ad. Yeah, I, I guess you can make a little money off of it sometimes, too, right? Well, so they say. <laughs> In fact, it's so prevalent that uh, you'll find sponsored link for um, Fusion Reactor. A Fusion Reactor? Yes. I didn't even know you could get those off the shelf. I didn't know either. And uh, if you go to one of the links in Google, uh, the, the AdSense, uh, it'll lead you to a page uh, actually on eBay for Fusion Power. And uh, it includes items such as fishing line, golf clubs, speakers, and uh, yoga tapes. <laughs> I, I See, this is why I think uh, Fusion Science hasn't really evolved much beyond. <laughs> no, they've, they've been saying that it's going to be online for, what, the last 40 years, right. and it's still 25 years away. Right. Although, you know, with the golf clubs, I, I do get quite steamed whenever I'm using those. So I guess they do have the power to generate energy. Usually negative. Yeah. So other uh, interesting things you could find on eBay, uh, cesium. Okay. You can actually buy cesium on uh, eBay. and uh, I can also get it from Sigma. So, <laughs> so. Right. Just some fun stuff you can do on the web and uh, interesting stuff you can buy on eBay, I guess. All right. Okay, and finally, what's in your genome? Supposedly 3 billion base pairs, and maybe less for me. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Some 50,000-odd genes. <laughs> and a lot of junk DNA. Yes. Uh, but so this is a big issue, actually. So uh, people are actually still trying to drive down the cost of sequencing whole genomes of uh, DNA. Wow, so the shotgun approach is still not that cheap? Well, I mean, it's driving the price down from uh, more than a dollar a base pair to less than a tenth of a cent per base pair. But that's still quite high, considering the millions in base pairs that there are. Right. So I I guess at one point it was uh, $3 billion to get your gene sequence, right? Yeah, that was... now it's only $30 Yeah, a mere. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently uh, a group has now developed a new technique which actually could cut that even uh, further down. Oh, awesome. Right. So the current technique makes use of bacteria to actually amplify the DNA. Right. What these people have done is they've actually used a solid support and a, a chemical process to amplify the DNA. Okay. And then they attach this to like a fiber optic chip, right. the amplified DNA, uh-huh. and they uh, use flashes of white light at, while they're putting on these different bases with fluorophores on it. Okay. And uh, that gives off the pattern, different patterns of... Uh, uh, of, of colored light, uh-huh. and they can read off the sequences quite quickly this way. Oh, I see. Right. And they published this uh, in a recent edition of Nature. And that's all for this week's look at current developments in your world of science and technology. This is Berkeley Grokshaw listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Mr. Jerry Mikowski joins us to talk about social networks. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to Berkeley Rocks. Well, joining us today is a very special guest, a social scientist, thinker, and observer of the modern world, Mr. Jerry Mikowski here from Berkeley. Mr. Mikowski has worked in various media outlets and is currently a consultant for the Institute for the Future. Mr. Mikowski, thanks for joining us on Berkeley Rocks today. Thanks, Frank. So tell us, um, as a social scientist, what are some of the most interesting developments happening right now? Well, I'm a, I, I only play a scientist on TV. I'm, a, I'm an amateur insofar as social science goes, but a passionate amateur. Uh, I've been covering things around uh, technologies that help people communicate, either in pairs or in small groups or in large groups, for years and years and years. Turns out to be one of the, the real interests I have. And uh, these days, that's a really hot topic. All of a sudden, social software is hot, social media, whatever you want to call it. There's a, you know, it used to go by names like groupware and computer-supported cooperative work. And uh, these days, there's a lot of work also trying to study the nature of collaboration mm -hmm. and how do social dynamics affect the movement of product recommendations, uh, the building of social networks, the building of trust and reputation and credibility. All that stuff is in the air in a really nice way. And there's finally employment opportunities for sociologists and ethnographers and anthropologists and linguists because companies are figuring out that this stuff actually matters uh, at least as much as engineering and MBA-ness and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. It's about the love, right? It's about the love. It's about helping glue people together in interesting ways. So, you know, speaking of gluing people, um, one of the recurring themes in a lot of literature and movies these days is that in our you know technological advanced world there seems to be a prevalence of uh, isolation people somehow become isolated in spite of the technology right because it limits their contact with other people or it, you know it helps them not to meet other people do you believe that's actually a credible critique or critique or do you feel it's just the software hardware being misused I agree with both sides of that statement. On the one hand, I see 15 different reasons why any ordinary sane human being might feel isolated in today's society. Mm -hmm. um, I recently interviewed Hans Mondermann, who's a traffic engineer in Amsterdam, in Holland actually, and he has helped 110 towns across Holland remove traffic signs, uh, soften up the design of city squares so that cars and people transit them at the same time, a variety of other sorts of things in ways that, that highlight that cities are built for cars, not for people. So he's trying to right. redesign that so that cities might be more about people and less about the cars. So, um, so he basically, uh, he, he makes the point of, of picture uh, a band of musicians walking across a city. Mm -hmm. What you're really describing is a platoon of civilians making their way across a landscape designed for cars. So that's just cars and transportation. Go look at the education system. Go look at how we elect our officials, elected officials, and how they run the country. Go look at how we get consumer mass marketed all the time. Mm -hmm. Those are all alienating things. Now, sitting in front of a computer, if all you do is play click games and you know uh, work through a CD-ROM or whatever, I've always not liked CD-ROM entertainment, for example. I thought it was very isolating. Mm -hmm. That's in incredibly isolating. When you're typing and somebody is typing at the other end, that's at least very interesting. And it has a couple of very positive features, like it masks your identity. So right. you could get people who normally would hate each other or suspect each other or not want to trust to actually become friends online because they don't know. They're either in costume in Second Life or they're in plain text on instant messaging and they just don't know enough, there aren't enough cues about each other's background that they start doing things. Another really positive thing is that um, kids now are writing things, even if it's on their blogs in LiveJournal or, or uh, Zanga or now MySpace, right? Kids are putting stuff up like crazy. Yes. But they're writing. 
And there was never really, I mean, you're going to write a paper for the teacher you hate. Who cares? You're barely going to work on it. You're going to go to the library the night before and crib off some buddies and you're going to slap something together. You're going to write something that all 60 of your buddies are going to see and maybe somebody else in the world is going to bump into. The ante goes up. And, and I uh -huh. think that with, that with that risk and vulnerability comes some further stimulation to learn to write, to write better, to communicate better. Now, the critique again is go look at weblogs and all this, these things and, and there's so much chaff, so much crap. You know, I had fried eggs and Cheerios for breakfast <laughs> and I hate my girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's happening. But that's just likely to happen. I ran right? some notes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But some of the stuff is unbelievably creative. Go look at Post Secret. You know, where people send in postcards, one postcard with some secret, something they've never told anybody. It's really compelling. Some of those are phenomenal postcards, hmm. right? And these are all, we're, we're experimenting with new ways of expressing ourselves. And as we do so, we form links with other human beings. And this is really crucial. And then maybe, and just maybe, and I hope this really happens, we go meet them in the real world. So my hope is that we find a nice balance over time between online and offline activities, and that this helps forge social relationships that are positive. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about it, through all of human history, it's never been possible for ordinary people to leave something in the world for others to bump into, right. like an essay or code. Uh -huh. And since the internet showed up, suddenly we can. Yes. That's a really big deal. So after any major change or major new thing like that, you have a long adjustment period where you have excess behavior, then you have backlash, then you have more excess behavior, then you have new excess behavior, then the technology changes a little bit and you have a new series of sort of uh, dampened, oscillating kind of reactions to what's going on. And I think we're going to end up in something pretty healthy. I'm, I'm actually strangely very optimistic about all this stuff. And of course you need a lot of infrastructure to carry this out. And given the way that technology has become more commoditized, these days, um, are you worried that you know certain powerful entities, corporations, would try to uh, limit expression? Well, it, it it does and it doesn't take a lot of infrastructure. Um, there's a bunch of different ways you can look at what you just said. One of them is that what I find uh, is most powerful is often the simplest of tools. So one of the reasons why open source software is interesting here is that a wiki, a weblog, whatever it is, it's just not a lot of code. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of code needed in order to get it to work and work pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. um, and that there has been a, a trend until now of over-engineering solutions, of right. creating the dedicated knowledge management system for some corporation that absolutely over-engineered everything and created such a stultifying environment that nobody could make their own that nobody really wanted to participate. So now we have simple tools that if you learn a little bit of Perl maybe or a little bit of scripting or a little bit of something else, you can in fact modify enhance or maybe one of your buddies knows how to do that and they enhance it for the whole group and so on and so forth. So the infrastructure is now plastic, it's now malleable, which is mm -hmm. really, really good. That's one piece of the issue. Another separate piece of the issue is whether the internet stays the internet for a long time. Mm -hmm. And Doc Searles, a buddy of mine, just posted an article that's online, it's a, it's a really long post which I think is published in the Linux Journal where he's an editor. And it's all about how the telcos and the cable companies would love to shut down the internet. Now, they're not going to say that, and that's sort of more bald-faced or more blunt than, than, than they might state it, but um, they don't like it. Like the president of SBC right now, Ed Whitaker, whom my particular group of people hold very little fondness for, he's busy saying, you know, how do these people on the internet, how does Google and AOL, how do these people expect to get traffic? They have to go through my pipes and they're not going to keep doing so for free. I'm going to start charging them for differential access for this and for that. As far as I'm concerned, 
Ed Whitaker just sells commodity bandwidth, and he has no right to look inside and to dictate differential pricing for video bits or whatever bits. Mm -hmm. He's just selling me 10 megabits per second up and down, and what I do over it is my business. That could go away, because we're ending up in a duopoly here. We're ending up where the local ISPs are dying off. Um, there's sort of no alternative besides the phone and the cable company, except for, and then this is right now, this is the big wild card, municipal wireless. So maybe towns and cities start saying, screw you cable and phone companies, and that's a really big deal because the cable and phone companies funnel enormous amounts of money into these communities and, and they have a lot of employees locally and so forth. Right. But what if Muni Wireless becomes an inexpensive or free ubiquitous utility where we can all connect and then the tools as I said are available they're open they're still in their infancy they're in what I call the model T phase you know if you, mm -hmm. when I reply to email I keep my email client in ASCII mode plain text mode because if I reply and I'm in rich text mode this blue line shows up on the left and I don't know how to fold in my reply with your with what, what you said and my said yeah. and then you know next step it, it's a mess uh -huh. how have we not even figured out how to reply elegantly to email so on the flip side of you know, being getting isolated by technology, now it's become so facile to meet and connect with other people. Um, do you now feel like there's like information overload from all, all the possibilities you have now? And totally. How, how do you manage with that? Right. Um, there's complete information overload. Uh, there's a couple ways of coping with uh, with overload. Uh, one of them is, and this is kind of funny, but um, one of the features that hasn't made it through very well is the do not disturb function. Uh -huh. So, for example, um, ICQ, of, of the early instant messenger clients, ICQ had really nice do not disturb capabilities where you could pick individuals on your list and be invisible to them but visible to others. You could set pretty sophisticated do not disturb rules and so forth. It didn't know anything about your telephone or your email, so right. it would be really nice if you had one big universal do not disturb setting where you could just crank the lever up and down and it would say, um, gosh, you know, it would deal with people appropriately. So let's say I'm giving a speech. Yesterday I gave a speech. Mm -hmm. My calendar says I'm going to give a speech. Great. My Do Not Disturb system should pick up the cue and say, great, I'm going to put Jerry on emergency only, family only, Do Not Disturb, which means my, whatever device I'm carrying without any intervention on my part will only ring if there's an emergency in my family. Mm -hmm. That's great. And when I'm done with the speech, it'll revert back to some other behavior that's appropriate for whatever time of day it is, whatever the settings are that I wanted. And maybe if I've annotated my address book with different people and put them in different rings, cir circles of intimacy, right. so here's immediate family, here are very close friends, here are acquaintances, and here are other people who I really, you know, I'd rather just send a voicemail. Uh -huh. Or, you know, leave his email and give them a little acknowledgement or something, that would right. be fine. And so, um, you mentioned a few people, and, um, and you know, you certainly are heavily involved in the, in this field, but um, you know who are some of the more interesting leaders or trailblazers you've uh, you've also encountered? Yeah, um, uh, there's a bunch of people whose um, writings and essays and, and uh, appearances are really uh, have influenced me a lot, at least in thinking about these things. So one of them is Clay Shirky. Mm -hmm. He's a, an assistant professor at NYU. He writes essays at Shirky.com, uh, and he puts out really good stuff. But he's thinking really hard. Uh, about how do all these interesting new social dynamics affect the structure of industry, the structure of the firm, the structure of society. Mm -hmm. Really fascinating. And he's going back and looking at uh, Ronald Coase's theories about transaction costs in the enterprise, which are one of the rationales for having a firm in the first place, a corporation, 
is that it costs less to do all this stuff when you have everybody inside the wall than right. it does to do it all in an open marketplace. Right. Well, one of the things he's saying is, hey, go take a look at the economics of an open source project versus the economics of Microsoft. It turns out that for some situations, maybe, that other way of, of, of creating goods that are shared is more effective, more cost effective, more socially effective. Um, and all of this is based on social dynamics, on trust, on relationships, on all those sorts of things. So, so Clay, from a more of a business perspective, but uh, really great insights. Um, Ross Mayfield and others post on the Many to Many blog on Courant and a couple other places um, and say they just sort of flag a lot of really interesting things. Uh, Dana Boyd uh, is a really astute uh, sociologist at Berkeley who also now works at uh, Yahoo and the Yahoo Berkeley Labs. Mm -hmm. She's fabulous. She has really great insights about all this stuff. Uh, Judith Meskill is the managing editor at uh, Weblogs Inc. And they just got bought by AOL, but Judith is basically a blog wrangler. Uh -huh. She works now with 130 plus blog bloggers um, who are being paid something, not an awful lot, by Weblogs Inc. to go out and blog about the things they care about. And she has more insight into how this works and what's going on uh, than anybody I know. Uh, and then I highly recommend listening to Jimmy Wales uh, whenever he talks. He's the founder of the Wikipedia. Uh -huh. And the sort of the subtle lessons of the Wikipedia are really important lessons. Uh, uh, Craig Newmark of Craigslist is sort of very similar in this. Mm -hmm. he, they both have um, an attribute I really admire that I think is going to propagate. And this, this is going to be, like, may sound overly hopeful, but especially in the context of the kinds of questions you're asking about info flood and does this bring out, you know, uncivil behavior and so forth. Mm -hmm. But what I, what I see Jimbo Wales and Craig Newmark saying a lot is, if your opening gambit is to trust people, and it doesn't have to be blind trust, you know, it can be um, good trust. If your opening gambit is trust, if your opening gambit is to trust people, not naive or blind trust, mm -hmm. but actually um, a reasonable kind of trust where um, people then feel that you're in some sense vulnerable and they mostly respect that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. and, and this is going to sound really weird, but a lot of the stuff I'm talking to big corporations about in my normal little consulting thing is the same exact thing. They're going to have to learn how not to be the big blank corporate entity where the PR firm burnishes the, the veneer of their, of their image. Right. But rather, they're going to have to become more vulnerable, more like peers, more of service rather than bringing down the law and the products we're all going to sort of consume. Um, and that's, that's interesting and it's really frightening to corporate people. Well, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you today, Mr. Mikowski. Uh, are there any last words you'd like to add about yourself or uh, social revolution that's happening? Yeah, um, only that I'm still trying to figure out how to explain all this stuff and what it means and how it fits. Um, I've revived a, a writing project, so I'm hopefully someday we'll have a, a, a book out and a website and other sorts of things that, that talk about uh -oh. more of this stuff. Movie and video games. Um, and licensing rights, right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm, but I'm a big fan of openness, so a lot of the stuff should be out openly. And uh, just want to reiterate that it's a great time to be alive, and if you're not sort of engaging in some of these things, uh, I would ask myself, like, why aren't you? It's such a great time to, to go figure out how the world is going to be in 50 years. It's, it's a, a moment of really huge transition. So, Frank, thank you very much for inviting me to, to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. And we were just talking to Mr. Jerry Mikowski, thinker and social visionary. You can read more about his stuff on his website at www.sociate.com. For the full hour interview with 
Mr. Mikowski, check us online. This is Brick of Grosh you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, the Grokotron 5000, so stay tuned. Well, Mr. Mikowski has kindly agreed to join us on this week's edition of the Grokatron 5000, the computer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today's topic is social or antisocial, and here are five subjects. Subject number one, social or not social, Oprah Winfrey. Very social. Really social. Trying to change society. Um, don't know enough about her personal life and what goes on, and I don't follow the tabloids, so I don't know personally, but... What she's trying to do is immensely social, and, and the power she's bringing to people is great. All right, a uh, celebrity of a different type. Uh, subject number two, social, not social, Michael Jackson. Oh, God. Um, I guess really deeply antisocial, but in some sense, he was raised in a bubble. You know, he, he's sort of a bubble boy, and uh, he's just got a bad deal, and it turned into bad behavior on his part, I think. So I'd say antisocial. Although, he probably couldn't live if he didn't have his adoring crowds every time he goes outdoors. Alright, um, subject number three, prominent social scientist, uh, Stanley Milgram. Very social. Um, Milgram also did, he did a whole bunch of weird experiments, but he also did the original six degrees of separation experiment. So, he did some really nasty psychological things. He did the obedience to authority, the shock experiments. Right. Exactly. But then he also did the very first chain letter experiment where he sent, he gave people letters and had them uh, forward them to people to try to get them to some human being on, you know, on the other side of the earth. And a lot of our stuff about small worlds comes right out of that. So very, very social. Subject number four, the Mormon church, social or not social? Do you know why they fund genealogical databases? Like the Ellis Island Project is funded by the Mormon church. Myfamily.com is funded by the Mormon church. Well... It turns out that Mormons believe in posthumous uh, baptism. It's called vicarious baptism. Mm -hmm. And that means that if I find somebody for whom the records don't show that they were Baptist or Jewish or whatever else, I can baptize them as Mormon. And the whole goal is to outnumber everybody else in heaven. So this is, I think, seriously, like there needs to be a declaration that this is happening because families are happily putting their family trees into these databases worldwide and building out a phenomenal grassroots database. And the Mormon church merrily follows these links and then baptizes family members who don't show an affiliation. Okay, so social then. Very social, I think deeply perverse. I, I find that really offensive. Uh, and finally, subject <laughs> number five. You wanted one that was a little perverse. <laughs> I liked it. The president of the United States, George W. Bush. W. Social Bush. or not social? Gosh, very social. 
he's like a really social guy. He gives the reporters nicknames. He does all kinds of things that are highly social. The problem is, I don't know where the rest of him is. You know, he's like a buddy boy. He was a cheerleader at Yale, and, and who knows what happens there. But the um, problem is that his social nature got him a pass during the first election. All right, well, I just want to th <laughs> thank you very much for uh, joining us on this week's edition of the Grappatron 5000. It was fun. Thank you. Whoa, dear, oh, it's like Super Dan and Super Dave. Hello, whoa, I'm like totally tripping, man, because I'm like, oh, I'm like all sorts of drugs like morphine and opium, man. Whoa, totally tubular. But how's it work, right? We got like this endogenous morphine system, right, called endorphins, right? And these morphine, like opium, man, they just like totally stimulate you to like go crazy and whoa, it's like a rush. I can see the music, man. Okay, and now here's Tokyo Kid with uh, this week's uh, question of the week. Now we know why the sky is blue, but why is the sunset so red? So, so, so red, like the Japanese sun in the flag. If you know the answer or think you know the answer, yeah, email us at groks at hotmails.com. Uh, you won't win anything, but... Uh, you will enjoy another beautiful evening. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grocks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grocks, you can email us at grocks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grocks, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music. <laughs>